VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Sergio Aguero's time at Manchester City is to come to an end. Where does he rank amongst the Premier League's greatest ever strikers? Scotland are unbeaten in their opening three World Cup qualifiers. We'll rate their chances of getting to another major tournament under boss Steve Clark. We'll touch on the winners and losers of the international break when it comes to Gareth Southgate's England and ask what's next for England's under-21s after their awful Euro showing. Before we end the podcast with the greatest upsets in international football after North Macedonia shocked the Germans. That's all coming up on today's episode of The Game Podcast. To help me through it all, Tom Roddy, Gregor Robertson and Jonathan Northcroft. Hi guys, how are you doing? Good morning, Hugh. Very well, Hugh. How are you doing? Very good, Hugh. Good to hear you're all ecstatic to be here. Um, <laughs> let's talk international football. We'll come to that in, in a moment. Of course, a, a busy, busy international break. But I guess the news of the week for many football fans um, was Manchester City's Sergio Aguero. After 10 years, 257 goals in 384 games. He's on the verge, by the way, of a fifth Premier League title. He's won an FA Cup, five League Cups. He'll desperately want to finish on a high at Manchester City with the Premier League, but he is leaving the club this summer. Uh, Jonathan, he leaves on a free transfer. Why do you think the club has parted ways with a 32-year-old? Because they're a machine without him, quite frankly, because they've got to the point where they they can do without him. Um, it's probably the right time for Sergio Aguero too, because he's he's had a year out of football effectively because of his injuries and then being on the bench since he's come back. Um, because Guardiola hasn't wanted to change a winning team, he's early thirties. He clearly needs to go somewhere and 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 play. Um, and there's a feeling that, that that things have come to the the sort of natural end there. Um, also, City are now got their eyes fixed on the next phase and the next level, shall we say, with Erling Haaland in their sights, maybe Jack Grealish, and building a new team. So it just feels like it's it's time. Um, the odd thing about it for such a sensational player is it it means that his exit is happening rather quietly with, with not the sort of fanfare, let's say, of Thierry Henry's goodbye or, or um, 
even when Van Persie was was sort of leaving um, United, um, it seems like a a, a a great is kind of going to slip out of the Premier League quietly. I think he's been absolutely remarkable. He's going to get a statue outside the stadium alongside the former captains Vincent Company and David Silva. Maybe the trio epitomised this change to Manchester City under the new owners. But where does he rank amongst the, the Premier League's greatest ever goal scorers? He, of course, is the club's greatest. He's the record holder at Manchester City. He scored 181 Premier League goals, though. That's fourth of all time. Gregor, what do you think? Where does he rank? Well, in terms of a pure goal scorer in the Premier League, he's the best. I mean, you look at the minutes per goal ratio as well. I think it's 108. And Thierry Henry was next with 121 goals uh, goals per minute. So, uh, minute per goal. So, yeah, he's he's the best in terms of an out-and-out goal scorer. I mean... You know, when you broaden the debate into what a what a striker can be and and what else they do for the team, you know th- that's a bigger conversation. But for that cold, calculated kind of, I don't know, he just always seems to have that bit of composure, that the ability to take the extra touch when others others would kind of panic, and always smash the ball into the net. It's like you know you get some some players who you know on Rees kind of trademark goals to open his body up and find a corner Aguero's really is is that drive isn't it is that smashing it <laughs> smashing it beyond the keeper before he can even you know blink so um, yeah in terms of an out and out goal scorer a pure finisher for a, a striker in the Premier League era he's the best Sad to see him, him go in some ways, Tom Roddy. Yeah, absolutely. And then, as Johnny rightly said, I hadn't thought about that, but it's such a it's such a shame that he he will go out so quietly. Um, because of course, and uh, when we look back on Aguero in now and in in years to come, you know, it'll it'll always be that moment. Um, winning the Premier League title, which which he'll be remembered for. I mean, it's, uh, I think they've got, it's emblazoned, Martin Tyler's commentary from that day is emblazoned across the the walls as you walk to the Etihad and they have the 93-20 sweep, which marks the the second that they won it that that year. And of course, it was was marking the moment that, that City won the trophy, but it's Aguero who's written into the history. But I think what, what may be, forgotten when we do look back on Aguero from years to come is, is one of his biggest achievements which was dealing with the, the challenge of Pep Guardiola arriving at the club because you know we, we, we hear about all the players who he's he's improved and he has improved um, pretty much each and every one of them um, but Aguero was what 29 in in 2018 when he was out of the squad and a bit, or a bit in and out of the squad and you had Gabriel Jesus coming in and, and we thought he might be the one to replace him Aguero was wasn't quite the right man for Guardiola and he was being eased out so his most challenging period of the season by February that year he'd scored 18 goals in 26 games and so a guy who's 29 years old could probably think at that time that he he he's not doing a lot wrong here, but he didn't. He 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 got on board with what Guardiola wanted and and really kind of adapted his game. And I think that's what makes Aguero quite special, actually, in the conversation of of strikers who have you know Premier League imports and strikers is that he's not. He, 
we we only really know him as the player rather than the personality. There's a big decision to make over who replaces Sergio Aguero. Um, already people talking about Erling Braut Haaland, there's Kylian Mbappe, there's a possibility of Harry Kane as well. Um, you know, it always surprises me that they would give out these statues so readily. Of course, they've, you know, they've won a lot, let's call it that, in the last 10 or so years. But, um, you know, one of these players could easily surpass Sergio Aguero. There's going to be statues everywhere around this Etihad Stadium in, in 30 years' time. Um, Gregor, I'll start with you. Who can fill his boots? I mean, it just sets up the conversation about Haaland, doesn't it? But it's going to be one long kind of courtship of Haaland, I think, between now and and the summer. Uh, for, you know, lots of clubs will be will be desperate to get get a hold of him because he is, like we discussed before, he is just an absolute goal machine. He's got the same, perhaps even more kind of single-minded. Well, he's he's just, he's just louder about it, more brash and more kind of obvious. But I think they they share the same trait, which is just a single-minded focus on scoring goals every time they're on the pitch. Um, and so yeah, he's he's the number one, I would suggest. But you know, as Paul Hurst reported this week, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see City testing Tottenham with Harry Kane if if that didn't if that didn't come to fruition. Um, and Mbappe, uh, Mbappe, I'm slightly less sure about. I think, you know, I'm sure they would be desperate to have him, but I'm not sure uh, personally that he would come. So, um, but, but Haaland's the number one. I just think, uh, you know, it's easy to say actually that yes, they won't be able to move for statues. It's easy to say someone might surpass him, but I mean, the the distance between him and the next leading Manchester City goal scorer is enormous, and he's. I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't say that too too easily. I think what he's done has been. It's been remarkable, and you know, players staying at a club for for a decade is not it's not very commonplace anymore. So, I think he'll take some beating. That being said, if you invest in someone like Erling Haaland, they could easily stay for a decade, especially if they're scoring goals at the rate he he currently is. But I, I like the idea that Harry Kane might be the player that comes in, and Manchester City might test the resolve of Daniel Levy. Jonathan, could you envisage it? Hugh, you like the idea? Well, well, as a as a Manchester United fan, why would you like Harry Kane at, at Man City? I think that'd be terrifying for the Premier League, wouldn't it? <laughs> Listen, I've, I've got a lot of stick in the past saying that I'd have Lionel Messi at Manchester City if it meant he was in the Premier League and not in in the in Liga or playing football in the MLS or somewhere else. You know, look, yeah. you know, you've got to understand Manchester City have that sort of financial clout these days. And I'd rather see the greatest players in the world playing in the Premier League than not. So, yeah, there's a little bit of putting country before club for me. You know, call me one of those types of people. Yeah, I, I, get, what, I get what you're saying. And, of course, if Harry Kane's going to go anywhere, we, we do want to see him stay in the Premier League. And, by the way, I think Manchester United would, would have to get themselves in that conversation because if ever there was a player they're crying out for, I think it's Harry Kane. But, but Haaland, we know, is, is, is City's kind of preferred option like it is most clubs that would seem, you know, Chelsea included. I was reading details this week of what Mina Royola might be asking for and that that gave me pause for thought because it would be outside of City's way of operating to to give so much to a player. Um, you know, they do obviously they do pay high wages, they pay big transfer fees, but they have got a structure and it would seem that wherever Haaland goes, it's going to have to be, uh, you know, for this country, an unprecedented wage package. And remember, City backed out of Alexis Sanchez for exactly that reason. 
Um, so that makes me wonder whether he will go to City after all. If 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 those wage demands are are re- you know are, are really what he's going to ask for, and of course Harry Kane in Harry Kane you'd get the 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 finished article now, um, and in in Haaland you'd get the guy for the next ten years. So in in, in some ways, if Guardiola is going to stay for another four years, he, he couldn't really lose out of it. It would be more the long term thing. Share the deets, Jonathan. What 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 are we talking in terms of wages? Well, I'm I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was a Hearsty piece or, or from a rival newspaper, but um, they were <laughs> they, they, it was looking at something like six hundred thousand pounds a week for for Haaland. Um, you know, a, a package unprecedented in, in Premier League history. Uh, obviously, that that could be made up by huge signing on bonuses and not necessarily, you know, basic pay. But that would be the that would be the salary package, and that's that's similar to what Alexis Sanchez's deal how how that was structured. Um, and from from what how Raul operates, it would be entirely in keeping with um, with with his his way, which is simply to get the best deal for the. The player and and you know when Haaland went to Dortmund, he engineered a sort of beauty parade of, of interested clubs, and and it does seem that he's likely to try and get four or five people, big clubs interested, and then try and play them off against each other again. It's going to be a big summer for that guy, Erling Braut Haaland. I think he's going to enjoy yeah. it wherever he does end up. Um, yeah, could be a huge salary, but I think Manchester City are the sort of club they will go out and get a front line talent. Who who knows? They might um, you know discover another gem. But I think the likelihood is they've got options this summer, especially getting Sergio Aguero's wages uh, off their bill. But you've got to give credit to him. Unbelievable Sergio Aguero, 257 goals for the club and really a, a long lasting legacy he will leave in the Premier League when he probably departs this summer. Unless someone thinks another Premier League club will go in for Sergio Aguero, could go in for Sergio Aguero. Tom, what do you think? I think it's it's maybe the other way around. I think Aguero might fancy sticking around for another another year. I mean, there were there were um, reports earlier this week that the uh, or last week that Chelsea would consider consider doing it, which I'm not so sure is um, which I'm not so sure would happen. But I think it just suggests that he wants to stick around, um, and he could be you know on a year on a year contract he would be. Uh, a, a fantastic solution for a lot of clubs, um, even though the wages are high. Um, but the, earlier, saying about um, Mina Riola's name was what came to my mind earlier when we, when you mentioned about Erling Haaland maybe staying for ten years because that's not what Riola clients <laughs> tend to do. True. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I just like the idea that maybe he'll go to Manchester United after the whole welcome to Manchester stuff with Carlos Tevez. Like, get one back. <laughs> Sign Sergio Aguero, make a big song and dance about it and, you know, shut up the noisy neighbours, in the words of Sir Alex Ferguson. Up next, we turn our attention to the international break. We'll come to England, the seniors and the under-21s during part two. But first up, it's Scotland, who are unbeaten after their three games in Group F. After a 2-2 home draw with Austria, it finished one all against Israel in Tel Aviv and a 4-0 win this week over the Faroe Islands. Gregor, they're second in the early running in the group behind Denmark. They will feel confident in this group, though, Scotland, won't they? They can go and qualify, if not with a top spot, then certainly a playoff spot, second place. We all know the drama of that, don't we? Um, what, what did you make of Scotland's start to qualify? I think this was a kind of well-needed boost because 
Um, you know, the the two earlier draws were they were pretty flat, I thought actually. Um, and you know, Scotland, as Michael Grant put in his report today, Scotland have dropped points against the Pharaohs in the past. There's no, you know, this is no uh, foregone conclusion. And we've also struggled for goals, so to to score four goals. And I think we're seeing the value of John McGinn slightly pushed slightly forward. Um, you know, he's timing into the box. He's he's becoming a bit of a talisman actually for Scotland. Um, and also, I thought Kieran Tierney was Kieran Tierney was outstanding. Um, you know, we always sort of laugh about the fact that Scotland have probably got two world class players in their team, and they're both left backs. Um, but you know, getting the getting both of those players playing to the maximum in the Scotland team will will be a huge asset for for Scotland, I think. So, yeah, I also think McTominay back in the back three. You know, he's the fact that he moves into central midfield. He he wasn't. I don't know. He, he was he was excellent in the uh, in the kind of qualifying period last uh, last year with when he played in the back three. I thought he was you know I was a bit worried about that, but he's he's been outstanding there. I actually prefer him there, and I think midfield is one of Scotland's strongest areas. So you've got McLean and McGregor who are capable of doing the defensive side, but they're also you know good passes of the ball. Uh, have a kind of creative streak as well. I think that's there's kind of a bit, bit better balance there. And then the other thing is G. Adams getting his first goal, which was, which was a lovely strike from outside the box. Nice little turn. I think he's someone who can produce a moment, just a moment from nothing that we didn't really have before. So I think he'll be a, a good addition. So, you know, this was a, uh, obviously it was against the Four Faroe Islands, but it was a, it was a welcome result. And yeah, when you look at the group, you know, the, Denmark are going to win it. I think, and it's going to be about beating beating Austria for second spot. So, um, you know, I, I still think Scotland are in with a good shout. And uh, first of all, though, we've got to concentrate on the Euros, Absolutely. which is nice to yeah. say. Absolutely, <laughs> nice to be able to say. Well, you can use the Euros in many ways, Johnny, to help your World Cup qualifying campaign when you come back next season as well, because there will be, I think, this summer for Scotland fans and players alike. Um, a huge boost of, of playing those games, of being at a major tournament, of, you know, of feeling the atmosphere and, and the experience and wanting to do that again the year after. And it will be the same group of players pretty much who get that opportunity. Um, they, they did come from behind in those first two games, Scotland, which I think was important as well, um, because you can turn a, a negative you know, into a positive. How did you see it? Just that ability to do that. Yeah, I thought that was. I thought that was very important and and a sign of progress. Um, as Gregor said, Scotland were a bit tired. Let's say in in both of those games, particularly the one in Israel. Maybe it's just familiarity. Just played them too often. <laughs> God, yeah. um, but uh, but but the fact that Scotland got themselves out of, of 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 a hole in both games and probably should have won both games in the end is progress and. Yeah, I think we, we've learned that Denmark are going to win the group. But if it is Scotland v Austria, then they had a, you know, Austria had a very damaging defeat to the Danes last night, which which will help Scotland. I think the job for Scotland will be to avoid defeat in Vienna and try and pick a point off of Denmark, maybe and make the difference between us and Austria that way. And like Gregor, I'm, I'm sort of looking at it in terms of development. I think anytime Scotland find a striker, it's it's a eureka moment. I mean, so. Che Adams to supplement the great Lyndon Dykes is, is fantastic. And I think he really can offer something uh, for Scotland. 
uh, I think we rehabilitated um, Ryan Fraser a little bit, who's who's important for for us because we need pace, and he provides it, and and um, that was good to see. I think as well, we probably learned that Scotland do need to, to, to stick with that back three because as well as um, it, it may be giving McTominay a role that he really suits, I think it helps that left-sided tandem. Um, the interplay between Tierney and Robertson was, was, was fabulous last night. And when they played in the 4-3-3, you know, that, that, that kind of means playing Robertson a bit too high up the pitch, I think. He's, he prefers to, to come from a little bit deeper. So there were signs... There were signs everywhere that were that were encouraging, and I think the important thing is to have maintained that momentum going. You know, if if, if these if these three qualifiers had been disappointing, that would have that that would have made us go into the Euros with with the sort of window of our sails, and it just just keeps the the buoyancy up. And yeah, we we have dropped points to the Pharaohs. I I, I was there at one of the games um, in Toftir when when we did. Um, so it, you know, we, Scott, we we can't be too. Yes, it's just the Pharaohs, but we can't we can't turn our noses up at any four 0 victory, Scotland. Yeah, I mean we're, we're I love still this still tempered, at heart. tempered optimism. Absolutely, we're still, oh, still, still there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly still what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> we are still defeated at heart. Absolutely. So you know we can't shake that just after one qualification. No. <laughs> exactly. I don't know whether it's the tempered optimism that makes me tempted to say, you know, this is. I've got the feeling this could be the the whales of two thousand and. 18 euros this you've got you've got Kieran Tierney doing the Gareth Bale job with three three assists it's it's on the thing about it is it does have that feel not just because of the emotion that goes into it but because of the tactics that are going into it you remember Northern Ireland getting to the Euros playing a very similar style uh, in terms of the formation, the same with Wales as well, which is basically saying, you know, we're not going to outplay teams. We need to be slightly defensive. We've, we've put three at the back. I think for Scotland, it works particularly, as as you've said, they fit Kieran Tierney and Andrew Robertson in. But Tom, it's very important at international football. We spent the last two podcasts arguing over England's formation. How should they play? What works? No need for that when it comes to Scotland in many ways, because... I think they are most solid with this formation. And also, I believe in international football that having that consistency of just knowing how you're going to play actually helps a squad that's not together that often. There also feels like an element of, of the timing or the pieces of the puzzle all sort of falling into place and the timing being right because you've got, as you said, you know, fitting two of the best left backs in, in Europe at the moment, fitting them into into the same team so well. But also, you know, um, the guys mentioned John McGinn, who I, I think is still an underrated player and if it, if it weren't for his I think it was an ACL injury a couple of years ago you know where he would have gone from from there and he's ju- he's just getting back to that form now um, as Johnny said about Ryan Fraser's sort of rehabilitation with Scotland and Che Adams I mean to get him at the moment um, his his he had his move to Southampton and he, he famously you know took I think 30 or 31 games to get a goal for Southampton but he was he always looked dangerous and he looks he's 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 coming of age as well so it, it just all feels like it's falling into place slightly and and Chris um Steve Clark has has, has got that he's got a bit of a Chris Coleman about him 
<laughs> really? In what way? I wonder how Steve Clark would react to that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael O'Neill. Okay. Yeah, I was about to say, Michael O'Neill. Care, care not to elaborate on that one. Um, just quickly, finally, on Scotland. An, an early call at this point, Gregor. I know you've alluded to it already. Will Scotland make it? Um, look, I think... I, I honestly don't want to look beyond the Euros now. I just think we're so, like so overjoyed to be there and there's going to be so much goodwill towards this team in this in the summer and we will have to see how that goes because <laughs> you know again well let's just stick to the defeatist mindset here you know we're, we've got a tough task on our hands so i think i think once that's out of the way and also we'll need to see about you know will steve clark remain i think he'll i hope he will but you never know he's kind of I think he's 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 done his reputation no harm. So um, you know there's a lot of question marks, and that's all a long, a long way away. It's also very peculiar that you begin the the kind of qualifications for the next tournament before the the Euros start, and it's um, you know there's a lot of changes. There's a lot of players as well that you could foresee Billy Gilmore perhaps sort of emerging. I just want to see him getting some first team football because boy, he's the kind of player we don't have. Um, you know we've got McGregor and McLean and. Uh, Armstrong, you know, players who are really solid players who I think, you know, can play in the Premier League. But Billy Gilmore is kind of something something very different to any of them. So I'd love to see him getting getting embedded into the team. So I, I'm not willing to say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, I, I imagine you're the same. Yeah, I mean, and, and we're in the Euros, we're in a tournament. You know, that's all we can think of. It really is. And, um, what what is beyond that is a bit of a bonus. So I think we should just need to do well in summer. And, and Scotland have got a good draw in the Euros, as in the way the fixtures work out in the group. I think really, you know, it's a, it's better for Scotland than it is for England. Just the the pathway. So I think it's a chance to get out of that group. And if if Scotland do that. You know, that, that's something that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. So I'm just thinking about that at the moment. Just finally, you obviously went to the Faroe Islands and saw Scotland lose. W- what was the best draw. thing about the trip for those of us that haven't been? Oh, a draw, sorry. Yeah, it, it, it was a draw. It was an, it was an amazing trip because they've, they've, got, they've got a different pitch now. They've got an all-weather pitch in the capital, Torshavn. But in those days, they played in Toftia, which the Faroes is a collection of islands, as the name suggests. And Toftia is one of the more remote ones of the main islands so you, you, you basically the airport is on like a, a sort of hill a big a big a cliff rather that's got a kind of flat bit at the top you land on the cliff you go to the main island with Torshavn where by the way night out in Torshavn has to be seen to be believed in terms of <laughs> the, the revelry that goes on in a North European island where there's nothing else to do but drink and then um and then you go to another island, which is Toftia, which is which is where the the, the game was. The the, the press, the Toftia, the Toftia Stadium, was basically a little hotel with a football pitch outside of it. The press box was a hotel room. We were all given rooms in this hotel to watch the the, the game. Um, and then the other side of the stadium was kind of open, so you could see people literally coming across the fields. You know, they had sheep in them and stuff. That locals were coming across to see this international. It was Matt Elliott's international debut and competitive debut, and there was a female lines woman for the I think the first time in international football. And she ended up he, he got sent off. She ended up flagging because he, he elbowed someone off the ball, and uh, we skate with a a one one or two to draw it, and had to then 
raced all the way back on two different ferries to catch the to get to the, the cliff that had the airport on it to get our chartered flight home it was a it was an amazing trip and my wi-fi my, my sorry my computer battery gave out just as uh, just as i filed while i was on the tarmac to take off um so i'm still sort of recovering from it really 19 years later <laughs> Well, that's our conversation about Scotland wrapped up anyway. Up next, we're going to touch on Gareth Southgate's England and what next for the England under-21s after their Euros disaster. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, make sure you're subscribed. You won't miss the next episode or any of our award-winning journalism. Get yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times across all of your devices. Sign up today for one month free. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times with myself, Hugh Wisencroft. Today, Gregor Robertson, Jonathan Northcroft and Tom Roddy. Let's quickly mention England's seniors and their uh, World Cup qualifiers before we go on to the under-21s and their current malaise. Uh, Tom and Johnny, we like to have receipts on this podcast, you know, get everyone's view. You haven't yet had your say on England over the past couple of weeks. Um, three wins from three in terms of the start of their qualifying. Have you been impressed, Tom, by what you've seen or maybe have your expectations for the summer come a little bit further down to earth? In a bizarre way, it's maybe a little bit of both at times in that um, it was it was exciting to see the guys who, who you kind of thought might have a chance um, and really sort of pushing forward their, 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 the, the opportunity. I mean, I thought Calvin Phillips was absolutely excellent and um, throughout the games and, and Mason Mount really, for me, he's a starter now. He really cemented his place in, in the team. Where he fits in him is, is a question that needs to be answered. And then that's probably the thing that troubles me a little bit. I mean, we're in, we're in April now before the summer and I'm still not entirely sure what the starting 11 is um and i think that's it, it's my turn to be uh, a little defeatist now um it, that's what makes me feel a little bit 
unsure. Uh, it feels like we need an element of um, a bit of a rhythm going into the tournament, which uh, despite the wins, I'm not entirely sure we've we've got. Um, and also, of course, there's the, the question mark about the defence. Um, I mean, you know, one mistake from, from John Stones doesn't doesn't unravel what he's done over this season, but then it does put the question mark in your mind as to whether it, it, it is working alongside Ruben Diaz at Manchester City and whether him and him and Harry Maguire will be quite as successful. So so a little bit of both really. Um I, I, I think I am exactly where I was about a month ago. God, we're miserable today, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I know that, that was that was tempered optimism, wasn't it? Tom? That's very Scottish of you. I, I, uh, it's it's contagious, clearly. <laughs> Jonathan, what do you think about England over the, the past three games? Yeah, I mean, I, I, a bit like Tom. It's it, it's a mix. I mean, I, I was actually. In, in watching the first half against Poland last night because you know the first two games are sort of they're not gimmies but they're typical England qualifiers against lesser nations where you don't really learn a lot so I really was looking at the Poland game as the one that, that is going to be the biggest indicator for the Euros and in the first half I was thinking it's coming together this um, the pre- England's pressing was fantastic and you could see with Mount and uh, Foden together how much that gives an ability to win the ball high up the pitch. And, you know, Mount is clearly going to be one of the, if not the key player for England in, 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 in the Euros, apart from Harry Kane. And he was, he was terrific in that first half. But it was, it was the way England then didn't capitalise on their supremacy it, 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 with Poland there for the taking in that first half. And then when they had the setback of losing the goal, I don't, I kind of don't mind John Stones' mistake because I, I'd be willing to write that off as just one of those things and, 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 you know, trust that he's not, he's not going back to, to bad old habits and, you, you, you know, England will get the, the Man City John Stones at the, at the Euros. But what concerned me, I suppose, was the, once it went to 1-1, was just England's one dimensionality, if that's a word. Um, there was just, there was just no way of, stretching the opposition and breaking them down there was nothing happening wide um you know but i think i think both both fullbacks were either not licensed to push high or just weren't capable of stretching the the opposition because there was no rashford there was no real pace in behind so it, it meant poland could play quite comfortably um knowing that they weren't going to be stretched either horizontally or vertically and England were playing in front of them and you know really it, it, it you know took, took the set piece didn't it to, to get England out of trouble which made me just think has that much has that much changed um, and clearly Jack Grealish or Phil Foden or Marcus Rashford is going to be perhaps the key decision for Southgate um, in the Euros the other, the other aspect is of course Jordan Henderson could come back and take over from Phillips and that might, Phillips did play well, but, but maybe Henderson would offer a bit more game management or savvy um, to help England in that kind of situation when uh, they really needed to change their ideas. And of course, that should be said as well, Southgate was odd with his substitutions. He didn't do much to change it either. So as I say, for, it was a bit of a Sven thing. First half, good. Second half, not so good. And, and I, I, I went away with questions in the end. Southgate substitutions have been a theme, though, haven't they? Especially, you know, in the in the bigger games, 
Um, he comes across as a slightly timid manager at times. So I think we've, we've all got used to that and we'll have to be used to it for the summer as well. Um, who do you think the big winners and losers in terms of the players were during this window looking ahead to the European Championship squad, Gregor? I have to say that, you know, Kyle Walker's come back in and kind of made you realise how good a player he is. And, like, you know, he's been taking a bit of stick by certain pundits and stuff, but he's still... I mean, he's so fast. <laughs> and he, he can also... <laughs> That's amazing. He, he can also... I know we're talking about the different formations and stuff, but he can also slot into the right side of a, of a three, um, which is something, you know, within a game you might choose to do. I think maybe even did it when... Um, when they, when they scored the second goal, I think just to kind of see it, see it at the end of the game. So, yeah, Kyle Walker, and I've, from that point of view, Trent Alexander Arnold is a loser. I don't see him getting the squad. But he's going to have to do something pretty remarkable between now and now and the end of the season to do so. Um, I have to agree with Tom. I think Phillips. You know, if Henderson's not fit, I think Phillips wouldn't be someone you. I think Phillips is someone you could rely on. I agree though that you know, as Johnny says, he just. Uh, I spoke about this last week just something about having a bit of presence and a bit of experience at this level experience in European football um, and when you see that John Stone's still kind of possible possibly got a reckoning like that behind him Maguire's still not always convinced Rice is what 22 or something maybe younger um, you know just having that slightly older head with a bit of nose would kind of just just the impression you get looking at that block of four, which has got to be England's base, would change a little bit. So, um, but you know, I, personally, I I think there's a lot to be, um, lot to be happy about from this from this international break for England. In that, <laughs> I would say this, but they've gone back to a back four, and they've found room to add and find to get another attacking player on the pitch. Mount has excelled, and I just think there's always going to be this sort of embarrassment of riches in the wide areas and choosing who's going to play is going to come down to form and the opposition. So I think England England know a lot more about what their kind of their base is and it's about deciding upon the attacking players who's going to go and try and win them the game I think. It did make me wonder as well whether um, maybe this is the optimistic side coming out. Whether the again the in a similar way to Scotland that the the pieces of the puzzle are falling into place a little bit because there's a nice there's a nice blend in in the in the squad and the the runners and the riders who are actually involved because you've got Walker who is who is at you know his his prime and and pl- playing extremely well but with the, the experience you've got harry kane who is uh, at his the best he's ever been in terms of goal you know goal contributions going into this tournament and if his ankles um stay in a safe place and are protected then that's very important um but then there's also the 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 kind of the our best kids our best talent coming through are also then they're not kids anymore um i mean mason mount two years ago hadn't played a game for chelsea and now he's their most important player and and nearly uh, you know he he's he's worn the captain's armband a couple of times and and the thing is 
this is he's not new to Gareth Southgate. Gareth Southgate managed him in the senior in the in the in the youth squads. Um, you've got Phil Foden, who's had really his he's been promising, so promising for for such a long time, and this has really been his his kind of breakout season in a way where he's had the the kind of rhythm to play more frequently and has more often than you know more often than before been um city's main main guy so there there feels like a nice blend that england have going into this tournament johnny would you say anyone has massively harmed or or massively boosted their chances for the summer yeah i mean i mean i think i think mount and rice who are two players that southgate has loved for a long time and has had faith in maybe before they were as as compelling as they are now um they they hugely advanced the, the, their core. They both had great um, international cycles. They both have emerged, I think, as, as as the two sort of key players in the in the spine of the pitch. And 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 you know you'd have to say Southgate's faith in them has been justified. Um, they look really top you know top international class players now. In terms of losers, I mean, I actually wonder if Nick Pope might have ended up as a loser um, having. Not conceded a goal until it's what seventh or his eighth international. Done pretty much everything right, and the one thing he did, and it wasn't even a hundred percent wrong, but that pass to to John Stones, which um, then you know Stones probably it's the bulk of it is his mistake, but it wasn't a great pass, and it was just that moment where I think Southgate will look at it and think, does he have? the ability with his feet that Jordan Pickford's got. Is he comfortable enough on the ball? I'm not sure about that um, because we know Gareth will probably look for reasons to put Pickford back in. So I, do, I wonder if right at the death, Pope managed to to become a loser out of that. And, and the, the other person I, th- I guess I think of is Eric Dyer who didn't get near the pitch, did he? And every, everybody else seemed to play. So he must now be looking at, at best being uh, you know, a bag carrier in the squad if, if he makes it. Let's look at the England under-21s next, though. They went crashing out of the European Championship at the group stage for the fifth time in the last six in this competition. A.D. Boothroyd's side finished bottom of their group, two defeats and a win. They only had one shot on goal from open play in their first two games. Question marks. In fact, that's totally wrong, isn't it? They only had one shot on goal, and that was from a free kick. They only had one shot on goal in their first two games, and that came from a free kick. There were question marks over how Boothroyd approached the tournament full stop. He left uh, Crystal Palace's Eberichi Eze, Conor Gallagher of West Brom, Liverpool's Curtis Jones, Sheffield United's Rian Brewster really on the periphery of his team until that final win. A.D. Boothroyd's called it the utterly impossible job. He's also implied it's impossible to succeed in it, given the remit to produce players for England's senior team. We're going to get into that a moment. But Tom, I think in terms of these three matches, there was every right for football fans back at home to be unhappy with how the under-21s performed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think I think the, the two feed into each other because, you know, this is... Uh, I, uh, I do think that the way in which they performed was uh, largely to do with the way in which they were they were set out to perform 
Um, and and of course, it isn't as you alluded to, uh, Hugh. This isn't this isn't the first time either. Um, in two thousand and nineteen, Eddie Boothroyd had a, a really talented team, um, a talented squad, in fact, and it wasn't really used to its potential and there were some very odd decisions made and they were out within within two games and the thing is it's it's history has has repeated itself here and and of course what i've i've, I've written a piece today actually for the for the website which um which looks at a question that Boothroyd sort of posed himself which is 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 this job to produce players for the first team for Gareth Southgate or is this job to win tournaments like this and of course I would say it's a little bit of both and I think that was why he was he referred it to it as the utterly impossible job because of having to do the two at the same time and there is an element of of difficulty there because you get players like say Jude Bellingham who's 17 years old and they they had him they called him up last year and he he played and was one of the better players as he has been at all the teams he's played in and then suddenly he's called up to the seniors so you can't really you have that upheaval and it's hard to have a certainty over the players who are going to be available to you but at the moment the the depth that England have at this level is is so exciting really and I think that's why these performances were just so utterly disappointing because you've got players like Eberichi Eze and Curtis Jones um, and Conor Gallagher who aren't starting the games to begin with who are regulars in the Premier League and we know their quality and especially a player like Eze who just is so such a joy to watch gliding across the the, the turf and they they sort of it, it seemed like they were shackled I mean they 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 didn't manage a, a, a shot on target from open play in the opening two games and it was only really when when they were on the brink that that they started playing and and they had five players out injured and then of course the goalposts move a little bit from we want to win the tournament to that we're, we're producing players for the first team and we've seen it this week with Mason Mount Phil Foden and Dominic Calvert-Lewin so yeah it's 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 a tricky situation I think um I I do wonder whether there'll there'll be a new uh, man in the job this year yeah, maybe we'll come to Eddie Boothroyd's future in a moment. But Jonathan, look, Spain don't have a problem with it. The Netherlands don't. Germany don't. In fact, they've used the vehicle of the under-21s to produce sides that have done extremely well in major tournaments. So do England miss the point of it all But in, in the fact that maybe they accelerate people through the process too quickly? They do a little bit. Um, I mean, I mean, and we've got a manager that's particularly keen, as in Gareth Southgate, he's particularly keen on drawing players through the system quickly uh, he believes in that but look, I, I have to say you, you're right to make those comparisons other two, other nations do better with it and when I saw I just think England have had the wrong under 21 managers quite frankly um, and when I saw the idea that it's the most impossible job. I mean, I, I, I sort of spat my tea out. I mean, an impossible job is is trying to keep West Brom in the Premier League or managing Derby County or, or being in charge of Ipswich or Sunderland or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, it's not managing 
an under-21 team where there's very little pressure and scrutiny, you've got lots of brilliant players, you really should and do qualify for tournaments all the time. And even when you go to the tournament, there's enough good players to, to at least what, get a shot and goal in your first two games or, 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 or get a point um, before your last game. And, and, and yeah, get out of the group. I mean, no one's saying Eddie Boothroyd had to win this tournament. He should have just got out of the group. And this wasn't his first attempt at it. So I'm afraid, impossible job. No, that's it, it, it's probably quite a cushy number, actually. Let's be honest. <laughs> Gregor, you played for Scotland at this level, the under-21s. Um, was it all about development and preparing you for the senior team or was there more of an emphasis on results? I think, first of all, it, it, we're kind of all alluding to, there's a, there is a, seems to be a slightly strange attitude towards the under-21s, which is maybe not shared in other by other countries and yeah as you say there's eagerness to to fast track players into the team and then when they have to drop back then that changes their kind of their appreciation of playing for the for the under 21s um i remember the first time i was called up for for scotland's 21s uh archie gamewood scouted me i had it was an end of season trip to to ireland i think and i had, I had to cancel my holiday and stuff like that and i turned up and we had i think we had four subs so like the, the attitude wasn't there was players who were playing for the old firm in Scotland who were playing in Champions League football and possibly thought that they they should be in the Scotland senior team and some of them later were but they weren't overly eager to join up at the end of a season to play for the 21s that's the truth of it that's the that's the reality of it was that clear Gregor oh abund- abundantly clear I've, I found it quite surprising when I just joined up and, as I say, cancelled a trip to New York. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's and it is strange. It is strange. I think it's kind of as you, I don't know. It's something about once once you've made that step into an established senior professional, you you are returning to playing underage football, and there's something about that which is slightly. Slightly jarring. Although you're playing for your country, and it should be a step into the, you know, into the into the senior ranks potentially. So I think I, I, I know I dropped a big clanger last week, but when we played Spain, Cesc Fabregas was given his debut for the 21s, and he'd already played for Arsenal for a year in the first team. So like that was a, he, he was a sub. He came on in the second half, and like so some of the, you know some of that is to do with who was in front of him. And some of it is to do with the attitudes, I think, the eagerness in this country. We think, oh my God, we've got a young star here. Let's get him in the team. Let's get him acquainted with everyone else and sort of familiar with the setup. And, you know, there could be some positives for that as well. It's, it's a difficult balance, I think. But coming back to it, it's, as Johnny said, it, it would help if you have a manager who can even give the slightest impression of getting the best out of the players when they do turn up for the 21s. And there is no impression of that because... As we said, this is this is the latest group in a long list: Grealish, Chilwell, Ward, Prowse, Pickford, and all them. Then, the, then the last tournament it was Madison. Foden wasn't playing. You're thinking, what is going on here? Now you're seeing Eze and real serious talents. It's just those. It was an odd fit from the start. When I joined Northampton, Chris Wilder had just replaced Ed Boothroyd, and so there's still all the same players there and he his stock phrase was stick it in the cage he was so direct the cage was like the was the area around the, the penalty box so it was an odd fit that's all i say i'm not saying he's not a good coach and he's a very positive figure apparently 
but he's an odd fit when you're talking about the development of the, the creme de la creme of English under-21s players. Tom, should Boothroyd go now? He's been in, in charge of the under-21 since 2016. Yes, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, he should he, he should probably have gone in 2019. I think he was fortunate to get the renewal of the contract that he got then. And, I, I mean, I think it's on the FA as well, because, you know, in the same way that the, the, the you're looking at Boothroyd and the, the players that he played, I mean, Foden was rested. He was rested in 2019 for the big game. And by the time he was back in for the third one, they were out. Um, in the same way that a manager picks the players, the the uh, the organisation, um, the association picks the manager, and they they made the mistake a second time in a row. Um, and you assume they you assume they wouldn't do it again with his contract expiring this summer. And it just, I mean, one of the issues as well, I think, with with Boothroyd, I, I, I get the impression is that. It's not just his football tactics, even, you know, even though um, even though they are kind of limited from from what you hear and and negative, but also the fact that he just what we've kind of got to remember is that these are these are 18, 19, 20 year old lads who don't really know. I didn't really know a lot about Eddie Boothroyd before they got told he was manager of the under 21s or under 20s at the time before then. So it doesn't carry the, the cachet of, of, a, of a bigger name. It's not about development. Let's be honest about it because these guys are all playing first team football, men's first team football. And if they were doing, if they were kind of tearing up trees, they'd be in the senior team as some of the players are like Phil Foden. So, when you're called up for the 21s, that's where you are right, at that point in time. Our manager was Rainer Bonhoff, guy who'd you know won the World Cup. He was a kind of that was in the Bertie Votes era, but we didn't win enough games, and he and and ultimately his job came under he came under pressure and he lost his job eventually. So it is about when you turn up there. It's not it's not actually on them to to develop those players. It's on it not really. It's your development happens away from the international scene. You turn up, play for your country, and your job is to is to to win. <laughs> it is. I, I know there. I know there's a pathway, and this is the top of this is the kind of last rung of the pathway. But these guys are all already first team regulars. That you know their their development happens away from the international scene. When they turn up, they should be going to to win or to do the best they can in the tournament. There's a backdrop here where club fans are already negative about senior football and the idea let's say of a Trent going to the under 21s which I totally agree with from a development point of view if he's not going to be in the senior squad which he should be brackets but if he's not put him in the 21s from a development point of view but imagine trying to sell that to Liverpool fans I mean you, you know that that's another issue we've got already club fans don't don't want to see their players join up with the senior squad they're not going to want to see them join up with the under 21s we need to recalibrate our thinking towards the whole the whole thing our final point on today's podcast is about North Macedonia we've discussed the seniors for England Scotland the under 21s of course but North Macedonia pretty much had the shock of the uh, of the World Cup qualifiers in the past 10 days they beat Germany 2-1 last night it included by the way another horrendous miss from Chelsea's Timo Werner um, but it ended a 35 match unbeaten run for the Germans in World Cup qualifying that went all the way back to does anyone know the result 
Yeah, you do? Yeah. Go on, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Go oh, on. Right. I would love so, Scott's been telling me about this one. Go on, mate. <laughs> so there was a there was a team that won five one um <laughs> against the team that then went to the World Cup final. <laughs> Since the five one drubbing by England, you're right, Jonathan Northcroft back in two thousand and one. So it got us thinking on the greatest international shocks of all time but um, maybe you guys have been to a game where there was a huge shock in international football or one that stands out from your from your memory as a fan i was at the um i mean i was at world cup 98 when croatia beat germany which wasn't a shock when you look at the players but it it, it, it reverberated around the world because germany were you know croatia were a new name it was their first world cup and Germany were Germany and 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 it was just incredible uh, that they got, they got they hammered them um but I also think of of um Senegal beating France which was incredible in 2002 and you know the one for my generation is probably the opening game of Italia 90 which was just unforgettable absolutely unforgettable um when Argentina came a came a cropper against Cameroon in a just in a remarkable game go and go and youtube that and look at some of the tackling but yeah so those are the ones i think about and i think i think in 1950 there was a there was a shock in that world cup as well some team lost to the usa <laughs> who had like a, a peanut seller up front or something so there's been a few yeah <laughs> We, we won't win this, Johnny. We won't win this. I think we should no, leave no. it there. <laughs> England lost to Iceland. Yeah, we've lost a few. We've had a few coming on social media as well. Senegal beating France in the O2 World Cup. Um, someone says, can Greece beating Portugal in 2004 count if they beat them twice in the same tournament and also beat France along the way? Very good point. Yeah, but it was still a shock for most of us watching at home. Tom, any come to mind for you? I mean, I was similar to, to Johnny and that I thought of the Senegal-France in 2002. And that that kind of, that tournament really was the... The, the the tournament of the international shock in a in a way because you had that Senegal France game and of course they were reigning reigning champions at the time weren't they France but it was a pretty it was a pretty disastrous campaign so in hindsight it wasn't the biggest surprise whereas South Korea going into that tournament we expected them to be quite good being the host nation but to to beat Italy in the quarter in the last 16 I think it actually was the last 16 and then to reach the 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 semi-finals was such a sensational story and and I think I mean um giving away my age a little bit but I was reasonably young at the time uh so um so sure. so it was it was my so I think you were too Gregor um yeah, but not me <laughs> do you know what though uh, listen that's one of those magical football stories that would never have happened if there was VAR so let's just you know let's just remember that for all of you at pro VAR people uh, that's all we've got time for thank you for being with me for the last hour or so Tom Roddy Jonathan Northcroft and Gregor Robertson I'll see you very very soon and thank you to all of you for listening as well reminder you can get yourself a digital subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times as well for more of our award winning journalism across all of your devices sign up today for one month free just go online search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started the Premier League is back this weekend and we will be back on Monday
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.